Praise God. Thank you very much for playing that for us. Um, great is thy faithfulness. Welcome everyone who, everyone who is on YouTube and um, podcast and all our congregants at Pilgrim and those who are um, tuning in. This is Reverend Dr. Gene Archer, pastor of the Pilgrim Church of the Firstborn in Toronto here in Canada on the 24th of October 2021. As we continue, um, last week we had a break and went to our convention. And so now I, I will um, resume my series on um, the teachings of Jesus. And um, it, we are forced to deal with the difficult passages when we preach in a series format. So we are not all over the Bible just cherry picking certain nice passages so the text that we'll be dealing with today is saint john chapter 17 verses 6 to 10. it was read earlier in the service so those who are on podcast and youtube you could just read that um saint john chapter 17 verses 6 to 10. and um we pray that God will, will truly speak to his people today. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And as I'm about to embark on this study of your word, a section that will carry us into the deep mind of God, into areas that we cannot fully fathom. I pray, Lord, in our finiteness, your infinite wisdom through your spirit will bring a little, just to move the, the veil a bit, as it were. Although the veil is gone concerning our salvation, but we see, we do not see clearly at this side of heaven, as it were. But, oh God, I pray this is in your word and what we are about to cover, oh God, you will help us to go through this with great care. There's no study on any exegete or exegesis that can adequately unpack this St. John 17. We're just scratching the surface of your prayer. And so God, I pray that whatever we can understand, will do something to our lives and change and somehow give us a bigger understanding of who God really is, who the Trinity it really is. And so I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The Real Lord's Prayer Part 2. And um, I just want to encourage our hearts before we are going further. Um, Genesis 28, verse 16. Sometimes we use the term, I feel, I feel, I feel, and there's a place for feelings. But what about saying, I know, I know, I know? We use, we use I know more than I feel because our knowledge must inform our feelings. And so in Genesis 28, 16, it says, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was 
not aware of it. Note the verb used here. The Lord not was in this place, but the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. I, I'd say that to say this, that in our lives, when we go through great tribulations and troubles and sickness and at the point of death, let us remember that surely the Lord is not only in this place where you are, but the Lord is in you. And you, most of the times, you are not aware of it. The Lord is in you and in me, but most of the times, we're not aware of it. And so not because you are aware of it, it means that it is real at that time. You might experience the reality. So therefore, surely the Lord is in this place, even when he was not aware of it. The Lord is in you, is in me. Most of the times, we are not aware of it. Because he said he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And yet many times we, we feel that he has. So I'll be teaching today. And uh, I think it's best if I read because of those who are on YouTube. Um, John chapter 17 and verses 6 to 10 again, since you did not hear it. John chapter 17 verses 6 to 10. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. Then they knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me. For they are yours. All I have is yours and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. Revelation 1 verse 5 states that Jesus Christ, he is the faithful witness to the truth of who God is. And the firstborn from the dead, the one who has rank and power over death, and the prince of the kings of the earth, the prince of the kings of the earth are the rulers. He is a ruler of all the rulers or um, leaders of this earth. Is, not shall be. 
So no matter what, who is in power, what they have done, and anything about that, Jesus Christ is their ruler, not Satan. Now, we should not be afraid then of coronavirus, of the decisions that are made behind closed doors, of, of what is happening about. Because fear, as I always say, I learned this somewhere, fear, F-E-A-R, can mean forget everything and run. Or it can mean face everything and rise. And as Christians, we have greater power than anyone on this planet to face everything and rise. And so, what's happening in the Middle East? What's happening in the deep state? What's happening in, in China? All these leaders, as I said on Thursday night, as I did some studies in Revelation about the teachings of Jesus. And, and, and you see Revelation chapter one, we are all the imagery of who Jesus is there in his majestic um, glory uh, and the descriptiveness that John tries to unpack. The words are inadequate to begin to understand that it's like this, it's like that, it's like that. Well, I tell you what, there is theological um, understanding of each of those things. His eyes are like blazing fire, his feet are like this and so on and so on. His voice like, you know, and it's coming, this, this voice that, these things that John heard initially in John's chapter, in Revelation chapter one, it was coming from the seven candlesticks which represent the seven church. It was coming from the midst of that. That's where the voice was coming that spoke to John. Jesus is present through us. When, John, when Jesus was, um, when Paul was on the road to Damascus in, John, in um, Acts chapter nine, it was not the spirit of God, he says, um, that, 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 that revealed himself in the light. The spirit's ministry is a silent ministry. He shall not speak of himself. So any, Emphasis on the Holy Spirit over against Jesus Christ is not biblical. So the Spirit is God, and the Spirit's presence is to ministry is to is to take the things of Christ and reveal to us in such not speak of Himself, but of the Father relationship between the Father and the Son and our inclusion in that relationship. And so that's why when Saul con confronted Jesus, he says. I am Jesus, who, Lord, who you persecute. Why are you persecuting me? This is the same Jesus in Acts chapter 7, who was ascended when Stephen saw him standing at the right hand of my father. In Acts chapter 9, this Jesus is with Saul on the road to Damascus, encountering him, saying, why are you persecuting me? It wasn't the spirit there. It was Jesus. And so it's important for us to understand that in the context of the prayer of Jesus, because this prayer is, is Jesus's prayer before he went to the cross. And I say it's the real Lord's prayer because in, in, in Matthew chapter six, where he said, our father watching him, that, that kingdom come, that is not the real Lord's prayer. That's a prayer for us because Jesus has no sin to ask for forgiveness in that context. So 
This is the prayer of Jesus. And we cannot pray the prayer that Jesus prayed here. We can understand it. And that is why this, this chapter 7 is so unique. Because we can't pray what he's praying. We can pray other prayers in the scripture, but not this one. I challenge you. You see, so, so therefore, this is so, this is why this is so inexhaustible. Not that all scripture is inexhaustible. Yes, don't get me wrong. But in particular, we are going into some territory right now. I'm going to share that is going to say, well, the scriptures you read seem so simple. This section here is praying for his disciples. And by extension, we are included in what I'm going to say. But after chapter verse 10 onward, he talks about the rest of us and so on. Or, you know, further on in the book, I should say. And so, from verse 6, we have the prayer of his intercession. He prays for the future glory of his people. So if there's any prayer that God the Father must answer is this one. It is finished was the sacrifice, the atonement. But his work on behalf of the elect sinners was not finished. It had only begun at his resurrection and his um, ascension and, and so on. It's going on right now. He ever lives to make intercession for us. This is the much more account, <coughs> excuse me, account to Romans 5 and also Romans 8, verse 34. Our great high priest is at the Father's right hand interceding for us. And the content or the glimpse of this intercession is this prayer here. This is where he prayed this. Ongoing supernatural work of intercession for the strength and security of his people. This is ongoing. What is Jesus doing right now? This is what he is doing right now. He knows what we are going through because he was in our situation at one time on earth. He is therefore our caretaker, defender, the shepherd of our souls and our whole being. It is to ensure that the end and our end, we will come to glory. Hebrews 10 verse 2, Hebrews 2 verse 10, <laughs> my eyes. Hebrews 2 verse 10 says, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. So the, 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 the ongoing prayer of Jesus and the mission is to bring many of his children, sons and daughters to glory. You think God is going to, Jesus is going to fail in that? Impossible. That is why you cannot, a true believer cannot lose your salvation. No, there are other passages which, 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 which would seem as if it is so, and we're going to see that in a bit, just one or two points. But, but it's, it's only a point of, um, of making us an injunction, you know, that we, we take things very seriously in our response. Now, in our text of John 17, 6 to 10, Jesus reveals um, the disciples' authentic identity and by extension, ours. And so we see a two-part thing here. We see the divine side of 
identification of authentic identification. We see the divine side and we see the human side. Now the divine side is going to rock some of our thinking. And it is, I cannot explain it fully. No scholar or any preacher can explain it fully. And people over the history of the church have been divided about this. But I'm going to work as closely as possible to the text in what Jesus is saying and not what we, how we should interpret what he's saying. We do not have the full picture. We, we, are, we are not infinite to understand and see and into the mind of God all these things. But what is revealed to us is here. The mystery of divine sovereignty and human responsibility is a tension of the Christian life. God is sovereign, but we also have responsibilities. And Jesus unpacks that right here. Note the powerful motif. They were yours. I could stop right here. You would think like this. You're going to say, but, but it doesn't fit in with other passages here. Jesus said, they were yours. Let me add, before they became his in time. Before Jesus called them, before they came to Jesus, they not are yours, they were yours. And the repeating motif, um, in the motif in, in a text where he says about seven times, you gave them to me. They were yours, you gave them to me. As I said last time, that every person who comes to genuine faith in Jesus Christ were given to Jesus by the Father. This is the divine side we're looking at now. They were yours, you gave them to me. This is the divine side. This is the, the Jesus and the Father side we're looking at. So there's more happening with our salvation. Why would beat all the odds from, from, from conception all the way up, surviving and so on. Even if people die before, we don't, we, there are eras that we don't know, brethren. And nobody has all the answers to this. But these are some of the difficult texts that we are faced because of, of series that I do. So I'm not just going all over the place. They believe the human side. We see that next. I have manifested your name to them. Not just mentioned your name, not just proclaimed your name, not just say your name, but manifested your name. The fullness of the God had revealed bodily. The exact representation of God. Hebrews 1 verse 3. So Jesus is God. We are told in St. John 1 18. No one has ever seen God. In his fullness of God. But why the son has seen God? Because John 1, 1 stated, as I said some time ago, that Jesus Christ pre-existed with the Father and the Son uh, uh, and the Spirit. The, the Son, I said, pre-existed. And then he came in history by coming flesh. And then that coming to flesh is Jesus. 
the God man, but before that, that's his son. And so therefore, he also, that's his pre-existence, then his co-existence, John 1.1, 1, 1, the, the word, the logos, the word was with the father, pros used your face-to-face inclusio of equality. And his self-existence. He is a giver of life himself. He does not receive life. That's God. The Trinity. Which we can't fully explain. One God in three persons. The Father, Son, and Spirit. The relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit. Not three God, but one God in three persons manifested to us. Um, those three, um, the, the relationship is called the, the being of God. And they speak as one eye and so on because there's so much unity in that diversity within the Godhead. And that is why it's so important for us to understand that in the clarity uh, of what, what is revealed to us. There's what is called the, the, um, the economic trinity, theologians call this, where the trinity has revealed to us in, in history and so on. And, um, and there's what is called the, um, the, the ontological trinity. The Trinity in the Father, Son, and Spirit as, as not fully revealed to us, but exists. So we know enough in the sense of not comprehending, but apprehending who God is because of Jesus. When you see him, you see the Father. But yet still, Jesus is not the Father, and the Father is not Jesus. And so it says, no one has seen God but the one and only. Who is himself God? God. <laughs> you know, deity, supremely divine. And is present tense at the Father's side. That means in relationship with. Has made him known. Exegesato. Exegesato. E-X-E-G-E-S-A-T-O. That's where we get our English word exegesis from. Jesus is the exegesis of God. This is John 1.18. God. Jesus is God explained in his very self. Jesus is God explained in his very self. His um, identity, his nature, his character, his works, his attributes, his teaching on display, the heart, will, and mind of God. Jesus revealed to them, none were from the religious establishment. Father, you gave them to me. John 17 verse 1 says, For you granted him authority over all people that he might give them life, give eternal life to all those you have given him. <laughs> they were yours. What? Let me re-emphasize it. Before they were converted, 
yet they were in the world unconverted in the world of evil sin satanic influence demons corruption but they were yours before they were born and yet they did not exist before they were born <laughs> what is this We're, we're trolling some serious ground here. This is language that we're not accustomed to. This is rewiring our thinking. Within the realm of darkness, there are some people there who belong to God. Even when they were in the world, they were yours. You, Father, gave them to me out of the world. That's why later on he says, I pray not for the world. But God so loved the world. But God knows more than what we know. And, and, and all whosoever will must come. But when you look back, you see, chosen from before the foundation of the world. I, God loves everybody. Jesus Christ died for the whole world. Yes. God was in Christ. Jesus reconciling the world unto himself. And, and this an area. It's, it's, it's a mystery that we have polarization of views with this. But we must celebrate because none of us deserve to be. And we, I do not know when you preach the gospel. How does it with evangelism? We are just preaching preach the gospel to everybody. We do not know who will respond or who will not. That's not our prerogative. The things revealed unto us are for us. The things revealed unto God is for God. And we have no right to try and figure that out. John 15 verse 19. I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore the world hateth you. Acts 13 verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, it's a Gentiles, you know, heard this, they were glad and honored the, the, the word of the Lord. And all, not some, all who were appointed for eternal life believed. All who were but yet still, they did not even know. But the Father knows. They were heard the gospel as a means to come. They had to take it, yes. All who were appointed for eternal life believe. Though that statement I just read has been a problem throughout church history. Because it... It, it, it makes people question the character of God. Is, is there some discrimination here? Hey, nobody can answer that. And there's none. Read Romans chapter 9 and it's, you see some other stuff there. They have been appointed to eternal life. And that is why they believe. We well, you say, Pastor, that's not fear. Well, we're not. 
in a classroom setting, I'll have to unpack all of this some more with the Old Testament and New Testament. Because of time, can't get in that. I'm just reading what the text says. But guess what? When I'm finished here, we're going to be thinking. And I'm telling you, you you're going to ask some serious questions even about God. That's what I want. It's there. If you can interpret it another way, fine. No, it's not fine. I should say. Acts 18 verses 9 to 11. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. I think he was in Ephesus. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. And everybody was against him at that time. For I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you. Because I have many people in the city. And these are not people who are just Christians already. But in the Greek, the emphasis that I have many other people than those who you know and heard the gospel who are in the city. In other words, they haven't heard the gospels yet to come. But I have them already. They are mine. That's why you have to keep preaching, Paul told. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. The reason for that is because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year. Corinth, I should say. A year and a half. Teaching them the word of God. Ephesians 1. That was Corinth, not Ephesus. Ephesians 1. Verse 4, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. What is this talking about? Mute again. I understand it, but I'm just trying to be emphatic here. For he chose us, not apart from him, but in him. Before the creation of the world. That means before the creation of them. Verse 5. He predestined us for the adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. In accordance with his, his pleasure and will. Verse 11. Both are summed up in verse 11. In him you were also chosen. Having be predestined. Chosen first and predestined. That means you mark out the boundaries before and predetermined. That's what predestined means. According to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his own will. Not that he saw that we're going to just accept Jesus Christ. Because then he, I didn't know, but he saw that I was going to do it. But no, there's more happening here. And some, some TV guys try to explain it in a, in a wrong way. Because they cannot understand the ramifications of this. This was God the Father. This was God the Father's uninfluenced choice. We didn't do anything to influence that choice. They were his, even though they were not yet saved. 
pastor, I'm not listening to you again. Well, explain this to me then, before you shut down on me, explain this. I told you I'm going to go into some areas. Come hear the, the gears turning, but this, but uh, I have the answer for this. Hold it there now. You reach, it, it, we reach a point where Jesus, when he was talking to disciples at one time, he said things, but you can't bear it now. And afterward, they say, oh, now we understand. Now we see through, through a glass, a, a, a mirror, I should say, darkly. And if you go to seminary or a serious Bible institute, you're going you're gonna to pass through the meat grinder with questions. When you really study close to the text, we haven't scratched anything yet. This is Christ centered. This is the prayer of Jesus. Second Thessalonians 2, verse 13. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through the sanctification. Sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and true belief in the truth. So the Holy Spirit convicts us now and, um, and, and through the word. So there's this whole process. But before all that process happens, it is in accordance with they were yours. We you might say, Pastor, how come the, the whole world wasn't his then? Nobody can answer that. Because Jesus said, you are praying not for the world. But God so loved the world. Hey, tune in for next week. <laughs> Revelation 13.8 refers to everyone whose name names have not been written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world. No, it talks about blotting a name out of the Book of Life and so on. That context, if you look at it, it was a, it was a, a, a warning, an injunction. But God's word cannot contradict itself. It says here, anyone whose names were not written before. So that name, they were yours. And so their names were also written before. There's some people on YouTube try to, try to disprove all of this, but you can see holes in their argument because they're trying to protect the character of God. John 6, verses 34 to 37. I'm going to read a few sections of it. All that the Father has given unto me shall come. Note again somewhere else. Not some. All that the Father has given unto me. They are his, but he has given unto them, unto the Son. Not may come, prompt shall come to me. Out of the bondage of sin in the world. We can go back to this. Romans 8.28 talks about, and we know that, that all things work together for, for the good of those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. Um, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the first fruits among many brothers and sisters, and those who he predestined, he also called through the gospel. 
and those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Our physical glorification is to come, but we have been glorified already in our spirits because Jesus in John 17 verse 22 says, I have given them the glory. And in verse 10, it says here that they will glorify me in this life. And Paul goes on in Romans 8. What shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us and so on? We know that passage quite well. Um, no, Christ Jesus who died, but more than that, who was raised to life and is at the right hand of God um, also interceding for us. Verse 34, interceding for us. There's where John 17 comes in, interceding for us. Who shall separate from the love of Christ? Impossible, no one, but shall trouble, trouble hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, the sword. It is written for your sake. We face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. You're going to go through the great tribulation, Revelation 7. These are the comment of the tribulation, the great one. Read John Revelation 17 and so on. And Revelation 17, 17, you see God's sovereignty there, that God has put it in your mind to do this and that until his word has come to fulfillment. Read Revelation 17, 17 when you have time. No, in all these things, we are more than, not just conquerors, we are more than conquerors to him who loved past tense, us, and, and so on. God shows us, Christ will get us to glory no matter what we pass through. Death, our greatest enemy, heads this list, according to what the text says here. The father gives us to the, as a bride to his son. The new Jerusalem, as I said some time ago, is a bridal city. The marriage supper of the lamb. The human side now, we could spend more time, but human side, verse six. They have kept your word. The true sign of a believer the gospel is a command. The teachings of Jesus are commands. It says here, they have kept your word. This is the human side. They obeyed. In other words, they had faith. Obedience and faith are inseparable. If you have faith, you have to have obedience. If you are obedient, it's an expression of faith. Let me explain. The word for faith in the, in the Greek is pistis. And it's divine, or pisteo, and divine persuasion. The etymology, etymology is divine persuasion. It means a trust because of being persuaded. Not that God says, oh, please, please, no. But the very being of God, the very gravity of his presence and the majestic greatness of his of his, of his, of his sovereignty um, is persuasive enough to drown out all other voices is what is called effectual calling it is a, we, everybody hears your word but but somehow there's something that reaches deeper in us can't explain it And so this is faith, divine persuasion. 
And so therefore it is obeying the command to believe. It's obeying the command to believe initially. And so therefore obedience is a response of faith because you are persuaded by the very being and content of who God is. So therefore, you know, um, you and so you trust this one. And so that's why Jesus says here in his prayer, they have kept your word. John 3, verse 36. Here's where belief and obey come together. So you don't think I'm trying to make it up. John 3, verse 36 says, the one who believes in the son of God has eternal life. But the one who does not obey the son does not have life. But the wrath of God remains on him. So right there, belief and obedience are held together as not necessarily synonymous, but one of the, you can't separate them, as I explained earlier. John 6, verses 66 and 68. For from this time, many disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You see, they, they had this. Do you not want to leave? Jesus asked them. The 12. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. connected with Peter. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. So there were believe and know to obey. We see that right here. Who is that eternal life? And I, I challenge those of us who might be on the fence in the church and kind of question, if you start to go to the Obiaman and, and other, other belief system, a lot of that's happening in the church, by the way. Jesus knows what's happening in his church. And who, who else has eternal life? Who else can offer what Jesus has offered? Question that we need to answer. So faith and obedience are marks of love. How do you know that you love Jesus? You obey his command. Jesus said, if you love me, you do what I say. And so this is the theme of John 17, verses 7 and 8. Now they, now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which you gavest me, and they have received them. And have known surely that I came from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. Send me. Right there, um, receiving and obeying and believing are inseparable. They came to know the truth. They received the truth. They understood the truth and they believed the truth. Is Jesus saying this about you and me today before the Father? About 30 times Jesus said in the Gospels that he was sent from the Father. 
You can't descend from yourself. As some modalistic monarchianist would teach in their oneness Pentecostalism. Jesus said, I'm not alone. John chapter um, 8. They are yours. Verse 10 again, Jesus repeats it in his prayer. They are yours. Martin Luther, this great reformer, said, we all, all I have is God's. But what about this statement? All God has is mine. Wow. But, but, but wait, you know, before we jump to conclusions. This is a statement of deity. All I have is yours. All you have is mine. All uh, you are all, all, all God the Father has is for Jesus. And all Jesus has is for God. There is a co-ownership of all things here. Only God can make that statement. We can't make that statement. This is only applied to God. However, in another sense, because of our inseparable union identity with Christ, we can understand it from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 21 to 23. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours and your Christ and Christ is, is God's. In that sense, we participate and have that ownership, but we do not own deity. And so, Father, hear this prayer, Jesus is saying. They are true believers. They are yours and they are mine. I am glorified in them. This is not about heaven and the future now. He says, I am. Not I shall be, but I am glorified in them. As I said in verse 22, I have been glorified in them. You have, we have the glory. Verse 22, I have given them the glory you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. You see, one of the manifestations of the glory of God is our oneness as a body. Because the Trinity is one, but distinct persons. My glory is shining through them by their love for and obedience. Jesus said, that's why Jesus said, forgive, the Bible said, forgive one another just as God in Christ forgave us. Accept one another just as God in Christ accepted us. Love one another as, as Jesus has loved us. That is why that is so, because those are the ingredients that are essential for oneness as a body and distinction of our person. So when we when we refuse to forgive, we are actually manifesting and putting a question if we are really Christians. According to the word of God here. If we can't accept others in the body of Christ, then we, then we have to ask certain questions. If we do not love one another as Christ loved us, then we have to wonder, oh, am I participating of the same love? Because even Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18 says it right there. It, this is the power that we might know the power. All of us in our Pentecostal church, our understanding of power is to raise the dead and do all these fantastic things. Of course, there's a place for that. But that's not real power manifested. Because to raise the dead, guess what? It's a sign that the kingdom is 
coming, a, a time is going to come where there will be no more death. But guess what? That is going to show that persons who have been raised from the dead, they die again. But the regenerative resurrection in the future is to come. And so therefore, um, Jesus is saying here that um, the glory that we're talking about, the shining through is their love and obedience. That's why John chapter 10 verses 27 and 30 says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. It's an inseparable connection. You, you get, they are yours. You gave them to me. They obey your word and so on. There's inseparableness right there. From the divine side and the human side. Here Jesus is talking about his father and himself. No, he says, um, I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. Not shall give them. I've given them eternal life. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. So if they can perish um, or you can, you, can, you can kill eternal life, then you can lose your salvation. And, and anybody who talks about, oh, you can, if I could just make it in and I might lose my eternal life, life they have no clue of who God is. Or they might understand who God, but, not, but inform about their feelings and not, not, not it's more an anthropocentric type of salvation instead of a Christocentric. It's based upon humans alone. But if you notice the text that was read there, it is, it is the divine factor that comes first. And the responsive aspect is where we come in. While we're dead in our trespasses and sin, we're quickened. Ephesians 1, 2, verse 1. I can't explain it fully. It is. And then Jesus said, my father who has given them to me is greater than all, but not greater than in the sense of power they are them to me. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. No one is able to snatch them out of my hand, Jesus said. So in this passage here of John chapter 10, verses 20, 27 to 30, we see a double ownership, if you may. No one is able to snatch and out of my father. This is ownership here now. Can we, can we unown what God has owned? Are we stronger than God? Is there any force? He says, no one, not even you, can snatch any element of suddenness or, or what have you, unexpectedness um, out of my hand. And you say, and no one is able to snatch it out of my father's hand. And I and the father are one. Not one person, but one being. Because it's in the neuter gender, not in the masculine gender. The one dear. And so there's mutual fellowship, mutual interest, mutual acts. All has been given to Jesus as mediator between God and mankind. But all things are his as a son equal with the father. This is security expressed in an era of biblical truth that is out of our control but we respond in utter worship, obedience, and faith and trust. So we have looked today at the divine side in this section. Scratching the surface. The divine side, and we see repeatedly in the prayer of Jesus, they were yours. 
you gave them to me. And so therefore, proof that you gave them to me, the Bible says somewhere else, and I said, they'll put it another time. John 6 says, no one can come unto the Father, come unto me, Jesus, except he be drawn. No one. But we are called to come on and obey the gospel. But there's something more happening. This connection with what Jesus is saying here. Notice when it make us ask more questions than getting answers. But Pastor, you're missing something here. Is it, is it you, you, maybe there's more to it here than, than, than balance off this. What, what, if you can explain, we need to accept they were yours. Along with other passages. You gave them to me. So I'm praying for them that you keep them in the world. I'm praying for them. The proof that they are really mine genuinely, they have kept my word. Obedience and faith. This is our security right here. But our security is not a flippant thing where I can just do anything I want to do because I keep his word. And um, the, um, the Lord, um, you know, call, he justified, he, 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 um, he, he, um, he justified and so on. And then through our life now, there's this process of progressive sanctification where we are becoming more conformed to the image of Jesus. This is an era of scripture that as I said, cause division, but it should not. It should cause celebration because it's but for God's grace that we are nothing in us that determined that I'm better and God saw something better in me why he chose me. It is on solicited, no impression that we make that God's, oh, you know, those are more attractive than that. No, 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 no. God is not like that. Here's a mystery and an area that is beyond what is revealed to us, but is in scripture. All who were appointed unto salvation, the Acts passage says, believe. We do not know who. The whole gospel is preached to the world. Spirit, God, they know. Read Romans chapters 9 and 10. You see some other stuff there. Uh, did God appoint this? There's a question, a question here which we'd have to do a step or study on and show that this is not what we're thinking. We cannot use our finiteness to try and articulate these areas. We need to understand and depend on the Spirit of God based upon the Word of God to, to, to accept what is here. If we don't understand what is here, oh, can we understand the deeper stuff? We're chewing, handling meat here. Anyway, God bless you. Let us pray. Trust that the next time we do our study, we will go deeper into this and see some other things. Okay? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that what we have covered just scratching the surface of your word, but enough to, to make us rejoice and be, be thankful, Lord, that we are 
um, the ones who the proof of this because of our belief and so on, that you said in your word, oh God, they were yours and they are yours still because of God, but in the sense of giving us to, the, to, to Jesus, all the Father has given unto me shall come. We have come. We have believed. And the proof of this is in our faith to believe and to live our life of obedience because of who we are in you. Here is the divine side. They are yours. You gave them to me. And the human side, they have kept my word. Divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.